that set me off on a path of creating a lot of abundance in my life. And then that shaped my early career, that shaped my early life until I realized that just having a career and not having a life is also not very fun or not a complete of living life, which happened about four years ago at this point where I was working for Mind Valley. I was running the company at the time and I got really, really stressed and burned and I had basically a complete breakdown in life except my career. And my career was great because it was very purpose-driven, but everything else in life was very little priority. This led me to make the decision of saying, if I want to really, if I am honest about how I want to live, it can't be this because this doesn't represent me. If I only make more money every day and I don't get to live the life that I really want, what's the point? Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. Are you stuck in work overwhelm? living to work rather than working to simply enjoy life? Do you know how to stay true to yourself and still create a fulfilling intimate relationship? And are you aware how you need an encouraging support crew of men that you can be vulnerable with for the sake of your intimate relationship? Well, in this episode, my guest, Ajit Nawalka, and I give you useful insights to these questions and much more. Ajit's story is fairy tale like He grew up in Jaipur, India, in the northern state of Rajasthan, in a small home crowded with 23 family members. From Rajasthan, which means the land of kings, life took Ajit on an adventure through the realms of business, marketing, and publishing across the Bay of Bengal and the Andaman Sea to Malaysia and Kuala Lumpur, where he quickly rose to become, by his early 30s, the CEO of Mind Valley, an innovative and exciting transformational education and company that has trained millions of people around the world in the exploding realm of human potential. I met Ajit a year ago through his wife, my old friend, the brilliant and talented in her own right, Nita Bhushan Nawalka. Despite his remarkable rise from humble beginnings to become a king among thought leader kings, Ajit carries himself with such an unassuming presence. He's calm and cool in a way that tells you everything is gonna be okay. Ajit is also the co-founder of Evercoach, an incredible training experience for coaches that helped fundamentally reshape my own coaching practice back in 2015 when Evercoach was first launched and in ways that continue to make a massive difference for me and for my clients. I caught up with Ajit in his bustling Los Angeles office, and his passion for our conversation comes through clearly every time he bangs on the table with excited emphasis. I think my editor can soften that for your listening pleasure. I hope so, because the wisdom Ajit breaks down could change the way you approach living your life entirely. Be sure to stay for Ajit's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Ajit Nawalka, welcome, my friend. Thank you for inviting me. Welcome. It's so good to have you on Men This Way. You know, we haven't known each other for long, but like so many of the best things in my life, it was a woman who introduced me to you. Yeah. <laughs> in this case, it was your lovely wife, uh, Nita Bhushan Nawalka, who I've been friends with for many years now. So uh, she's an amazing woman. Yeah. The two of you are an inspiration for many. And I, I just wanted to bring her in and honor her in this conversation because she's very much the reason that you and I are even having this conversation right now. She was, Absolutely. So I want to honor her. She's a great facilitator of, of conversations and change. Yeah. yeah. So in this short time that I've been able to interact with you and, and watch how you be in the world, Ajit, I've quickly come to appreciate that you're so much more than just a successful businessman. 
And I know that you've been on a remarkable journey to arrive at where you are now from growing up in Jaipur, India, in what you describe as a middle-income family. Now, I find that interesting. I've been to India a few times. I'm not sure what middle-income family in India really means. <laughs> I know what middle-income in the United States, I grew up in a middle-income family in the United States, but middle-income mm -hmm. in India, my sense very is very different. Yes. So, and maybe we'll share a little bit about that as this conversation unfolds, but I know starting from those uh, very humble beginnings in a family of 23, not much space, not much money, rising to become the co-founder and CEO of Mind Valley, which is one of, if not the world's largest transformational education company in the world. But something that I'm going to guess is even more significant to you than all of that just happened just a few weeks ago. Yeah. You just had a baby. Just had a son. Yeah. You just had a little baby boy. Yeah. I want to just start with what is the most surprising part of that experience that you completely did not see coming? Well, I think it's, um, it's surprising, but it's a good surprise, not a bad surprise. It's, I think a lot of times, and this is our first baby. This is the first time I've had a child. Mm -hmm. So everybody says, you know, that you love your kids, you love your kids, you love your kids, you love your kids, right? And, and that's the common yeah. theme. Everybody says it. But I think when I first saw him and I still continue to see him every day, and I almost feel like we discount the word love to a certain degree mm. in what we really feel for our child. I mean, I feel like I love a lot of things, yeah. but it's not the same, right? Yeah. So the amount and the overwhelming flow of love that I experience on a daily basis, yeah. I don't think I have ever felt before. And that includes my wife. And she knows it. Like, I love you, but I don't know what I have for this little human who absolutely does not <laughs> reciprocate in any way. Right. He's doing his own thing, right? He's not yeah. even like, reciprocating in context of what you are doing. He's just doing yeah. what he wants to do. Right. And, and, and you can make whatever meaning out of it. But yeah. it's just uh, amazing. It's beautiful. It's very selfless. Do you feel like something in you is, is shifting as a man in the world? Whatever that means for you. We haven't even dived into that. But is something shifting for you? Absolutely. So, so I was talking to a few friends a couple of weeks ago, actually. We were just sitting down and they were like, what's the, what's the thing that you feel happens when you become a parent? And I think one thing, at least as fathers, and I, I can't speak for everybody, at least it happened for me, is that I have a tremendous sense of knowing right now. Uh, you can call it confidence, you can call it uh, mm. certainty, you can call it whatever. And it's not that I'm an uncertain person or a fearful person, but at the same point in time, there's like always concern for life that I've had as to will I be able to do this? Will I be able to do that? Will I be able to love fully? Will I be able to live fully? Yeah. All of those questions. And, and I don't know what happened when he entered our life, I've got this comfort with life. I've got this certainty, this confidence, this just places knowing that everything's going to be great, not just mm. okay, it's going to be great. And it's hard to explain, but that's kind of has shifted. Yeah. And that, of course, shifts the way you approach life on a daily basis. Yeah. Like the thing really bothers me right now. Like I'm like almost comfortable with going, hey, this is great. Like everything is just awesome as the way it is. And then everything's only going to get better. That's really interesting because I, I would imagine I'm not a parent. I have a puppy. It's, <laughs> it's uh, different, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Not, not so much. Um, but it's interesting here from a lot of, a lot of my friends, my male friends are having babies and, and just one of my friends had a baby a week ago. I was with him last night. And what I see too, is a lot of times you have a first child, a lot of men will feel angst. Oh God, another mouth to feed more responsibility. Mm. A lot of, a lot of their own daddy issues will even come up. And it sounds to me like you have, like, there's a, I don't know, I'll use the word spiritual. It may not be that, but you know, it might, just my word, not yours, obviously, but there's some, almost like a spiritual surrender or, or knowing some mm -hmm. awakening that's happening to you that, because that is the ultimate sort of spiritual realization that everything's okay. Yeah. We're supported. We're loved. Mm. And it sounds like what you're describing, having like this baby and I saw you before you had this baby. So you already carried that air of confidence and that air of calm and certainty in your body. I don't know if you were feeling it, <laughs> but, you, but you, I felt that from you. So mm -hmm. does that resonate as true for you? Uh, it is true for me. So I, I know that that's why I was saying, I, it's not that I'm an uncertain guy or a overly yeah. concerned person. I'm 
my past experiences have shown me that life's going to be fine anyways. Mm. And that's why it's so hard for me. And sometimes it's like, it feels like the language that we have or access to vocabulary that I have doesn't really do justice to a lot of things that I'm mm. trying to explain. So I'm still trying yeah. to build a better mm -hmm. vocabulary to be able to make, uh, make the distinction of before and after. Yeah. So for me, it's like I said, I, it's not that I was an overly concerned person ever, but at the same point in time right now, Mm. What I feel is completely different to how it was uh, a few weeks ago. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so. Wow, man. That's profound. Yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. really profound. And I hope that that can be an inspiration to a lot of men listening mm. who are already fathers or will be fathers and women too. Women will be listening too. that. It's such an inside such an inner game. And we're not, we're not really, I don't think we'll go into kind of inner game. This isn't a coaching call. This isn't, mm -hmm. but I know that so much of your work is around inner game. Yeah. So I just want to acknowledge that, but I don't want to dive into that just yet, or maybe at all. What I'd love to hear about is, would you tell us a significant event or experience in your early life that played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man? So like anybody's life, my life was full of many significant events. And to be able to pick one is always going to give only one dimension to the story. Mm -hmm. I think the dimension that that is most interesting to people, mostly because of the success that I've been able to get for the short span of, of life I have and the career that I've had is what is the driver or how is it that I am driven to have a completely big life, not just in context of abundance, but abundance of everything, not just yeah. abundance yeah. of money. Yeah. And that event that if I have to trace back, it leads to my childhood as the first event that led to that change. Because like you mentioned that I grew up in a middle-income family in India. It's different than what you have here. Yeah. If you are a middle-income family, it means you have a house, you have a room and all that type yeah. of stuff. In India, I was in a middle-income family and what we call as, as a joint family, which simply means a family where you're not only living yourself, but your cousins live with you and your grandparents live with you mm. and your grandparents' cousins live with you, like everybody and then some more. And that's kind of the, the household that I grew up in. And, 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 and that's all in one house. I mean, right? Yeah. Because yeah, my, yeah. my my dad and my dad and his family they they eight brothers and but they lived on the same street but everyone had their own house. No no no, it's the same <laughs> house. And yeah. my room was my yeah. brother's room, and was yeah. the playroom, was the TV room, was the guest room. Right. Everything. Yeah. So you don't have a room. So that's why I'm yeah. saying it's kind of different. You would probably different. think of it as underprivileged families. Hair yeah. would be comparable to a middle income family in India. Mm -hmm. The way we live, right? Because I grew up like that, it, it shaped my reality a lot because one of the events that happened was, and I remember those events more distinctly because they had a significant effect on me, mm. is there was one of the times that was one of my uncles was visiting the house. And like I mentioned, we were sharing rooms. Me and my brother shared the room. Yeah. And if a guest would stay over for the night, uh, they would end up sharing the room. It was just a common thing. It was in something different that was happening that day. So we were trying to go to sleep and we are all sleeping on the same, which is not really a bed. It was basically a mattress on the floor mm -hmm. where we were sleeping in three things. And what we would do is we would put pillows in the middle to just make sure, oh, this is my space. You know, like that was the space creation where we couldn't have walls. Yeah. So you, you made your space in the bed by putting a pillow in the middle. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, so like kids are, like I was in my teens and my brother's three years older than me. We started fighting for space, mm -hmm. right? He was bigger. So of course... He was like, I need more space. I'm taller, I'm bigger, I'm older, so I should have more space. And you like kids, we were fighting, whatever. We were having an argument. My mom storms out of her room. And in India, it's, it's my mom's favorite line is said, Log kya kahenge? which basically means, what will people say? That's my mom's uh, favorite line for everything. Oh, that's, that's her mantra. Like, what will people yeah, say? It's like, what will people say? Everything's yeah. about what will people yeah. say. My, my mom's was, everything costs a fortune. Yeah, so even, hair, <laughs> even haircuts. Yeah, so, yeah. So every childhood photo of me is with a fucked up haircut. Yeah, <laughs> my mom wouldn't spend whatever it was to because it cost a fortune. So I know I'm familiar uh, with mom mantras. Yeah, yeah. So mine was look at and think about it. Hair, there is somebody else in the house. Everything right now is like it's end of the world for her. That's happening. Uh -huh. Right. She storms out of the room, tells me to shut up and go to sleep. I go, mom, but I don't have space. And in India, and especially my mother has has a loose hand. Uh, which basically means she would yeah. slap me whenever whenever I wouldn't listen the first call. Uh, and so she would just slap me and she would like, go to sleep. And I cried myself to sleep that night. But when I woke up, my pillow was still wet. And that was the time when I was in a state where I was like, 
I have to make a decision today. I can't be living in my entire life like this, right? How, how old were you at that moment? I, I must be 13 or 14. 13. I don't remember the exact age, but I was in my teens. So I was yeah. not really young, but I wasn't really old as well. I was in my the, age, the age at which boys start really becoming men. Yeah, so I was about that age and I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure out what I'm gonna do. And that set me off on a path of creating a lot of abundance in my life. And then that shaped my early career, that shaped my early life until I realized that just having a career and not having a life is also not very fun or not a complete of living life, which happened about four years ago at this point where I was working for Mind Valley. I was running the company at the time. I had co-founded some companies with Mindvalley as well, but I was running the main operations. Mm-hmm. And as I was running the main operation, I got really, really stressed and burned. And I had some health challenges. I had relationship challenges. I had basically a complete breakdown in life, except my career. And my career was great because it was very purpose-driven. Like Mindvalley is a phenomenal company in many ways and does great work in the world. So I was purpose-driven, passion-driven, but everything else in life was very little priority. Which led me to make the decision of saying, if I want to really, if I'm honest about this, if I am honest about how I want to live, it can't be this. Mm. Because this doesn't represent me if I only make more money every yeah. day yeah. and I don't get to live the life that I really want. What's the point? Yeah, And that changed everything again. So, I mean, there's all kinds of leaps you've had to make in your life to experience to live the life that you you don't like to talk about arriving where the hell are we where we've arrived somewhere i mean life is always unfolding but you've mm-hmm. had a really exceptional and extraordinary and, and and fascinating life and and i'm on the way including what you're just describing there you've you've done a lot of things that you know from a certain perspective might look terrifying only mm-hmm. because you got to get out of your comfort zone i wonder would you share with us one of those leaps that part of you, a significant part of you was either terrified. That's a word I use. It's uh, but you know, was really afraid and uncertain and unsure. And yet you did it anyway. And what got you over the fear to take action? So what I was very fortunate with was that I grew up in a family of, I think people who should have been philosophers, but they never were for some reason. <laughs> like my grandfather was like that. My father's okay. kind of like that. Yeah. So my grandfather, and we lived in the same house, right? So I was very close to everyone. Like we heard everything, we, every conversation. Yeah. We were yeah. Part of. yeah. So sometimes what would happen is let's say we were, we were sitting at home and we would see like groups of people coming to house and then going into our grandfather's room yeah. and then staying there for hours and hours. And sometimes we would see activities like this for days and days. And when we were kids, we didn't understand. We were just in our own world. Mm. As we grow older, I started to ask, what the hell is this happening? Like, who are Mm. these people? They come, they stay for the whole day. There's just like tea going in the room and food going in the room. They're eating lunch, they're eating dinner. What the hell is happening? And he was a jeweler. You know, he was in the gems and jewelry business. So that didn't make any sense. There was no connection there. So my father told me that it's because people come to consult him. Mm. on their life issues. People come to ask him what they can do, how to think about different things. And he tells them stories about different experiences and gives them perspective about different things. Mm. And that's what is happening for days sometimes. And because of that, this is just to show what type of household I grew up in. Mm. And my father is kind of the same. Again, a lot of people come to solve their problems with him. And he is a man of few words, but if he will say something, it will be like, Almost like, you know, you're like, you got to stop and you got to think about it, whatever you yeah. just said, right? So it's kind of like that. So, so because of that, what happened is very early on in life, even without reading a philosophy book, I was exposed to a lot of philosophy, mm-hmm. right? And one of the key philosophies that my grandfather used to talk about a lot, which got embedded in me subconsciously, was have fun with life. Mm-hmm. Have a good time with life. There is no chase for anything, It's the joy of life, right? Uh, He said it in many different ways, but that's kind of the summary that he would always represent. And you could see it. Like he never seemed stressed. Like if you would, even if the business was in trouble, it felt like he was just like, oh, we'll work it out. And my dad would tell me those stories about their business. Of course, I was in the middle-class family, which meant that business was definitely never doing good. Uh, But but he would just tell me, hey, yeah, there are tough times and we're navigating through it. And we are still putting the best food we can on the table and you get to enjoy life. You got a good schooling system. And so I got trained really early on in life to to treat life very differently, Mm -hmm. right? Unconsciously. 
So when it came time for me to be able to ask the tough questions of saying, hey, I want a lot of abundance, what do I do? Right? I took some hard calls very early on. So for example, in India, we are expected to be an engineer, a doctor, or an accountant. Right? That's like the professions. If you don't do those, you're useless. And if you're an entrepreneur, that's basically because nobody would give you a job. Mm. Right? So that's kind of like the worst thing you can do is start a company. Or used to be. Now it's, a, of course, a lot more glorified and seen very differently. But at the time when I was growing up, it was literally when you could not find anything else to do is when you started a company. M- might as well be an artist. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> the same thing. You're like the worst case scenario for the yeah, family, yeah, right? Yeah. So because that was the positioning of it, that was never on my radar to start a company, even if my dad and my family is in the business world. So I was training to be an engineer, but as I was training to be an engineer, I realized that that wasn't fun for me. Like I was kind of like, not that I was scoring very well. I was not also scoring, but at the same point, I just hated doing it, right? I love math. Yeah. The, the, you know, the play of math, not complicated, pain in the ass, you know, hours and hours of mm-hmm. solving a, a puzzle type of situations. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is not fun to study right now. And if this is how an engineer's life look like, looks like, I don't want it. I don't want any part of this, right? So I kind of took a break of seven, quit engineering while my family had already invested a bunch of money in training. Mm. And at, at that time, that was a lot of money for them, right? So it wasn't cheap for them to invest in me in learning something. But I just, I wrote a letter to my dad. I said, hey, this is not for me. Even if I do this, I'll suffer. I'll not enjoy this. I don't want to do it. And so that was a big step. But again, overall, every single time, every time when I had to take this, and then it kept going on like that. And it was always that I was about to take a step and somebody had a problem with it because everybody thought that I was going insane. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that still happens, honestly. <laughs> but at the same point of time, it just, for me, it was all a play. It's still all a play. Yeah. It's all uh, life is. And Alan Watts does a beautiful job in explaining it. He says something to the tune of, when you are listening to music, the point of the composition is not the end of the composition. Mm. The end of the composition is when everything ends. It's no yeah. fun in the end of the composition. The point of the composition is the composition itself. Yeah. So he, that's kind of the summary of how, when I'm challenged, that's how I approach things. Yeah. You know, you said something at the Evercoach Summit that Sylvie and I attended a few months ago that you probably don't even know what an impact that has on people. Well, what you said was basically, yeah, I like watching four hours of Netflix a day. Yeah, I've arranged my schedule so that I can watch. I like catching up on all these series. I enjoy, I want that to be part of my life. And, you know, God, man, it was so nice to hear that from you, especially knowing <laughs> you have all these companies, you're, you've, you've launched all these projects, you're coaching. I mean, you're serving so many people doing so much work. And at the time, Nita was still pregnant. She hadn't given birth yet, but still, God knows what you have to run out for in the middle of the night to feed a pregnant yeah. woman. I don't know. And to hear you say, yeah, I've, I schedule everything. I do four hours on my business. And so I can watch Netflix every day. And my own, my nervous system, when you said that, just went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but think about it, Brian. I mean, it's so, so silly that we've made our lives to be yeah. about how many hours we can do work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and phones have not made it any easier because no. now it's easy to work as well. Like you just pick up your phone and get to it. In the bathroom. You can work in the bathroom. Yeah. You're like always on it. And yeah. it's, it, I mean, if it gives you joy, good on you, but don't do it because you have to do it because that's not yeah. true. Yeah. And, and the glorified story of, oh, hustle, hustle to become somebody. It's just a glorified story. It's yeah. just like people who are really building businesses are not trying to clock out 18 hour days because if they are, well, they are just in a glorified job. It's not a business, mm. right? So let's not, let's not kid ourselves. If you're yeah. building a real business, you want to not work that hard. That's the point of the business. <laughs> should work. Not in 20 years, but now. Now. Yeah. What's the point of doing anything if you don't get to enjoy the fruits of it? Now, I'm not saying there are seasons in business where you have to work. Like I had a book launch coming up uh, last week. So I was busy because yeah, I was doing yeah. podcasts after podcasts, yeah. uh, like lives and this and that. Yeah. Yes. I was busy that week. And yes, I didn't follow my workout schedule and I'm not meditating these days because I have a new baby, but that's a season of life, right? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the baby in the morning, it's basically him. <laughs> Meditation yeah. has gone out the window, but I know I'll resume it in the next two, three, four weeks because then yeah. 
more chill about those things for the seasons. Yeah. I first saw that in the military when I was uh, in the Air Force working with government workers at a huge space in, in Oklahoma City. And, and I was just there for a couple of years. And I remember I worked in this awful mile long building with just seven windows like this old Cold War building that just, there was no life inside of it. There were thousands of people that worked there, but there was no life in that building. And I remember a lot of the people I worked with, they were just saving for retirement, you know, 20 years. They didn't, they did not feel alive there, but they just stayed because what else are they going to do? And I remember they just, I just couldn't believe I went, I left after a few years and went traveling. And uh, I think I came back like five years later to that same base and I went to my old office and um, the so same bad. people were still there, just a little bit older and a few years older and a few years closer to retirement. But still, I just had all these adventures around the world, had grown and learned so much and, and I, it just insanity. Mm. And yet I still do it myself in the smaller ways where I will push myself, I'll work in the bathroom, <laughs> you know, on my mm-hmm. phone. So that's why when you said that, it was just another layer of that story dropping off of me. That was just so, it was the simplest thing, but man, it really, really impacted me. Thank you for that gift. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm really touched by, you know, so many of us men, particularly in Western culture, we don't grow up exposed to our fathers and uncles and grandfathers in the way that you described. So I get that there were a lot of challenges with that, but I'm really touched by your exposure to these men. And and I want to ask you, could you speak a little bit more to that? How has your life been made richer by your relationships, your friendships, your family relationships and mentorships specifically with other men? So I'm very fortunate for sure. I actually grew up a lot with my my uncles and my grandfather and my father and all of that, not only because we were in the same house, but also because the Indian community is a very tight community. Yeah. So you're always in interaction. For an introvert, it's hell. And you're grateful for it as well. I'm an introvert yeah. or I prefer to have my own time. You can say it that yeah. way, <laughs> but it's hell because there's never your own time. And if you want your own time, it's actually looked down upon because like, why, why are you so antisocial? What's wrong with right? you? What's wrong with you? Right? Go talk to people it, because that's the Indian culture, yeah. right? So, yeah. so the fortunate thing was that even if I had to go against my own full nature, I still got to learn from a lot of people, a lot of successful people and not, not successful people, a lot of people that I would look up to because they were so inspiring yeah. as how they led their life and a lot of people who really made bad choices in their life. And you could see it on how their life shaped up. So very connected society is definitely something that to be grateful for. And if we don't have them, we probably should consider building yeah. them yeah. because that's one thing that I feel, especially since... Now I interact a lot more with the Western culture just because I'm living in Los Angeles and and so forth. I've realized that it's just because we're so hesitant to reach out. We are so concerned on how we will be looked at that we forget that the point of living, one of the big pointers of living Mm -hmm. is to have fun with this life. And how are you going to have fun with this life if if there's nobody to have fun with? Yeah. Right. So yeah. for men, especially, like you said, and, yeah. and women are generally more connected because they're also, uh, I find that they're just so smart and emotionally available in a way mm-hmm. that they find the connection points faster. Like Nita has 20 million friends. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. five, but I like, I like my five friends yeah. because I'm, I'm that kind of guy. I have yeah. five friends and I hang out with them all the time. Yeah. Introvert nature again, but five really close ones. But Nita has maybe 20 million friends. <laughs> but that's also because she's a great connector and so forth. But but I've seen women generally are much open to this. And I think having these conversations, having these connections, and having been able to share and having an open dialogue, like just the other day, yeah. we were with a bunch of guys. We were just at, at, our, at my house. We were talking, we were all new fathers. We were just talking about fatherhood. And, and not fatherhood in the context of just the easy conversation, how do you feel with your kid, but the hard conversation of what's your relationship looking like with your wife. Mm. that's not an easy conversation to have because it's a tough spot when you are just become a parent everything else looks as priority versus your relationship i don't know how much how open it is to be able to talk about that but this is a men conversation so i'm guessing i can sex takes a toll in in life because well if especially if they have vaginal birth you can't even have sex for eight weeks eight to nine weeks all the time it's healed right Mm. so those things all add up it's a tough conversation to have it's not an easy conversation to have 
But when you can have these conversations, you can go, oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah. I don't have to think my world is ending because of this little event that is happening in my life, yeah. right? If I'm challenged in this little situation, which happens, you know, 60%, I think, uh, one of our friends quoted, I haven't double confirmed the reason, but he says 60% of couples that split, split after their first kid, mm. right? Within the first year or so. Mm -hmm. After their first kid, guess what? There gotta be a pattern, right? There has to be a pattern. The pattern is, of course, related to sex life and your amount of toll it takes in your body, amount of toll it takes in your energy, emotions that you go through. Yeah. How will you know that if you're not having a conversation? You won't. And what do you do then? You take the easy way out. Let's quit this, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. And that's why that happens. But that's why conversation is so important. Of course, I'm relating it back only in parenthood because I'm a new parent. Sure. But as a man, you can totally understand there are times in a relationship where it goes like a freaking cycle, yeah. right? Yeah. And you got to be able to have somebody to talk to. Yeah. And you can't vent everything you're going through to your partner. Mm -hmm. That's not what that's for. <laughs> and it's a very bad idea. Very <laughs> yeah. Very bad idea often because yeah. they are going through their own journey and they are, yeah. it's not that they're not smart or anything like that. They're amazing. Like you're amazing. But at the same point of time, they are having their experience and they can't see your perspective. That's right. And they're not supposed to be your, your therapist or your coach not, yeah. to, to hold all of that. I mean, you have to have. You know, the real conversations with your partner, but not from a place of merely venting your frustration all the time. Yeah. So having, and I find particularly having other men, you know, I've been with Sylvie for over three years now. And, you know, before Sylvie, I had a lot of female friends, grew up with sisters and strong mothers, mom and stepmom. And I was very comfortable around women. Being in relationship to this woman has made it so much more clear to me how important my friendships with men are. Mm. You know, I regularly participate in, I have my own men's group that we meet weekly. We have these, exactly these kinds of conversations because we can vent and say things that Sylvie doesn't want to hear. <laughs> and won't understand even if you say it. Exactly. And won't even understand. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like we won't understand sometimes what they are saying. Right? Yeah. And it happens to all guys. So let's That's not right. pretend that we are, we are, some greater variety or some greater guy. It's not like no. we, we all need that space. Absolutely. So if it, for any men listening and women listening too, encourage, encourage your man. But if you're a man listening, please know it's so important for you to be regularly meeting with other men and not just at the bar or watching a sports game or, I mean, those not against any of those things, not just at work, but in honest conversation with each other having these kinds of conversations. I love that question that you, you said you talked about with your friends. What's your relationship with your wife like right now? Mm -hmm. As a supportive question, not a cynical one. Yeah, no, no, no. And it was so that we can share the experience and yeah. go, hey, yeah. this, is, this is what happens. And everybody is sharing their experience and sharing what they were challenged with, when yeah. they were challenged, what happened yeah. and how did they resolve it. Yeah. So all of us have a perspective on it. None of yeah. us feel alone. That's right. At the same point of time, I, I just want to add this to to our conversation, because sometimes what happens, and this has happened with people that I know for sure, is that when you are living in your bubble, we often find it really hard to find other friends out of that bubble, Yeah. right? So, so we, we find it really hard to connect, to even build a men's group like that, or to be able to build relationships like that. You don't have to find new people. You most likely have people. You just don't connect with them. Yeah. Right, my men's group is not necessarily physically meeting, yeah. but we are always in conversation because technology yeah. allows us to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and yeah. not just texting, it's like full on videos and, and real conversations, yeah. not, not yeah. just superficial conversations. Yeah, I'm so glad we're talking about this because this is one of what, what, uh, what I call the five pillars of the thriving man, brotherhood. The importance of brotherhood is essential. We're not supposed to do this stuff alone, to figure this stuff out alone or just work with a therapist or a coach. I'm so in favor of working with therapists and coach and getting that support, but we need brothers shoulder to shoulder yeah. going through these experiences together. It's just that is so reinvigorating yeah. and renewing. So thank you. I'm so glad we're, we're talking about this. Ajay. <laughs> Intimate relationships, since we're also kind of on this subject, what do you think Knowing a little bit about your backstory, I know you had a failed marriage. Well, well, that's just a word, failed. You had a marriage that didn't succeed in the ways you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, failed. And <laughs> now you're with this 
Anita's an amazing human being, a beautiful woman, inside and out, brilliant, talented. The two of you are an inspiration to many. And I know you're still growing together and learning about each other and, and on your journey as well. But what do you think men need to know or learn to create a truly fulfilling, intimate relationship? So I think it would be different for everybody. But if I have to just share my perspective sure. on what was important for me to know as a guy when... So I had, like you briefly mentioned, I had a previous relationship. It didn't work out really well. And I had a weird relationship with relationship because I, I had no value associated to relationship, like value, internal value, not monetary value. I had no value associated to relationship. It was just a thing that you do or you have. So I had to go inside myself to be able to really find what does it even mean for me to be in a relationship? What does it even why do I even need a relationship or want a relationship in my life, mm -hmm. right? What is that exploration? What is it that I would want? So the thing that transformed the way I show up in my relationships and for all relationships, especially the romantic ones, was to be able to take that journey. I think what happens with us as, as men is a lot of times we are reactive and not just men, human beings generally. We, most of the time we are reactive. Yeah. So for example, that woman looks really good very attractive, smart, whatever your categories or your thing is that makes an attractive person for you, let's go for her, right? And that's just how we operate, right? Oh, some childhood sweetheart or college sweetheart, so forth, and we just pursue that as direction. But what I've found is that if you take the time off and actually do a dive internally, you would really find what's attractive to you, mm -hmm. right? So for example, when I was in that relationship, and I had had relationships before that, but it was always reactive. Oh, that girl's hot, that person I like, that person I don't like, so forth, right? And you build a relationship based on that. And this one also was like that. Wonderful woman, should have a relationship with her. But it was more like she was checking off the boxes than I was really knowing what I want, Yeah. right? And that journey after that relationship ended, I couldn't, as much as I knew that it, it had to end, I couldn't figure out what I did wrong. Mm, yeah. Right? Never had that experience. Yeah. <laughs> never, never. Yeah, <laughs> that, that describes every man's yeah. the end of a relationship. What the hell did I do wrong? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get yeah. it. And, and so at that time, and I don't know what inspired it, but it was definitely the combined effect of my health taking a hit, my relationship taking a hit, my career being really purposeful, but still not being where I wanted it to be and so forth. I had to take some time away and that time away, I really invested in figuring who I really was and what was honest to me, not the best version of me, not the greatest version of me, nothing, just honest. Like who am I mm. honestly? Like what is it that is that I really value? What is made up stuff? Like things that I've done to protect myself, you know, like yeah, things yeah. that you go, okay, I am like this because I want to protect myself. Mm. Not that stuff, the real core stuff, like yeah. who am I as a person? Yeah. And in that journey, I took experiences that were in, on extremes of otherwise, which would not be acceptable probably in a normal society, yeah. right? But I had to do that for me to be able to explore things that otherwise in a normal conversation is very hard to go. Yeah. So I think what is important in a romantic relationship is to know who you really are and maintain it. Mm. Challenge that happens is we lose it in a relationship. Yeah. We start like this. There is this person, there is you, yeah. right? And you are attracted because there's this electricity in the middle, yeah. right? And the electricity, the part of the electricity is because she's being her or he's being him, depending on what type of relationship you are in, and you are being you, right? And that is what creates luxury because you are being your individual selves and it's powerful. You attract each other because you are being you. Yeah. Even with the fiery side, even with the fun side, all of the sides, and that luxury keeps you vibrating really powerfully in a relationship. Right. But as we spend time in a relationship, we forget that that luxury is what is keeping you together. That right. the charm is keeping you together. You just look like the same. Right. We hide the parts of ourselves that we think will get us in trouble or won't be accepted. So we wouldn't be okay with the other person that you have. Exactly. So right. we morph into something that looks acceptable to the other person, which is kind of just more like they. Like we lose our difference. Yeah. For fear of the conflict or the or or that tension. Yeah. And we get comfortable. We get, oh, that now I don't oh, or we we accept yeah. the thing that we challenged before, we accept now. Keep yeah. challenging it. 
It, that's yeah. fine. And nobody has to accept that fire needs to stay alive. And if that fire is dying, you need to rekindle it and you got to find ways to rekindle it. Yeah. Relationship is as much work or more work, honestly, than business. <laughs> if you ask me, it's way more yeah. work than running a business. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I, I often tell couples, I, I work with couples in my coaching practices, I tell them, you know, it's not that there's tension. The problem with your relationship isn't that there's tension. It's that you're trying to resolve the tension all the time. Mm. That's where it's trying to resolve it, make it go away. That is what's killing your relationship. Mm. Learning to be with the tension yeah. is where the juice is. Learning how to be with that tension. That's where the magic remains. That's so true. That's beautifully put there. Uh, that tension can drive a lot of juice in a relationship oh yeah in every way in every way not just conversation everything and i think that distinction you made about who i am not my defenses not my you know if i'm afraid of intimacy or if i you know sylvie my partner works a lot with attachment styles and it's very easy to say well i'm just a loner for example an avoidant attachment person would say well i'm just a loner i need a lot of alone time maybe i shouldn't even be in relationship well, that's not necessarily the true you. That may be a defense that may, and who knows? It's not for me to say, but yeah. I really appreciate that distinction is so important yeah. to do that inner work of discovering who am I really? What do I really want in intimacy and relationship in life? And from that place showing up as your authentic self, which requires vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Beautiful, man. One last question, and then we're going to go into what I call the five key takeaways finale. And by the way, if you have a better name for that, I'm <laughs> so open to it. The five <laughs> key takeaways. I'm not a fan of it, but you know, it's evolving and that's where we're at right now. So, but here's the final question I want to ask you before we go into that, those final questions. Ajit, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing men today? And what wisdom could you offer in the face of it? Um, I think based on, especially for the Western world, from what my interactions have been, it feels like that men have a flawed understanding of women, of what they really want. Of women, yeah. Yeah, yeah. of what they really want. Yeah. And the education that is happening with the social media and so forth is not necessarily always accurate. It's often very surface, very filled with drama and all that type of stuff, which are not true or are not the truth of a relationship. At the same point in time, I think men have definitely not taken, and that's not just this generation's problem. I think this has been the case, uh, <laughs> that we have, we've always had to put up a facade mm. to be able to be honest is not really always been an acceptable thing. And I know men are men, and there's, not, there's no taking away from that, but there's an honesty that we had to cover up for generations now to create as a protective mechanism or to live up to some standard that is not very true yeah. because the way we define masculine is not necessarily yeah. true. The way we define what priority a man should have is not really accurate. Yeah. So just knowing thyself is, I think is one of the, one of the biggest challenges that men face. Yeah. So what wisdom would you offer in the face of that? The wisdom or, or my invitation would always be to be able to, instead of seeking in the outward world to understand you, yeah. try to understand you by looking inside. Mm. It's already there. Yeah. It's, it's always been there. Yeah. It's just more for your need for validation, your need for recognition, just need for these things that somehow make you feel safe or relevant or recognized or whatever yeah. those things are. If you could just take that away and find the core of you, all of these other needs will mm. anyways come to you. Mm. You are more recognized if you're honestly who you are because you don't have to put up a facade. People yeah. see you more easily because there is nothing, no wall covering you. Yeah. So the invitation would be just to take the time and really invest in really figuring who you are. Yeah. And there are many ways to do so. So I'm not giving one path for it. Of course. Because there are so many ways to do that. Yeah, that's something Sylvie shared with me when she was dating in Los Angeles. You know, she grew up here and she's a stunning person inside and outside. So many men tried to impress her with their money and their success. Mm -hmm. It was such a turnoff to her, endlessly a turnoff to her over and over and over. That was not the way to her heart. So I think what you're pointing at, 
And it can be confusing for men, I know, because of, there is a primal ancient need in, in, of, of woman for a man that they feel like can take care of them, that can provide resources and all that, although that's shifting. Mm-hmm. I mean, women, are they can do their own thing these days. Mm-hmm. So what you're pointing at is, though, is the real resource is the inner resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That love resource, that, that confidence, that all, all of that, that's sourced within that has nothing to do with your circumstances. Absolutely. And for that matter, I think the need for money or the need for getting that money or that thing is because we feel that's how I can be confident. Yeah. Right. So the ultimate game is the same. Ultimately, you're trying to get the same thing. Ultimately, that is what is attracting. Yeah. Or when they're really interested, like there is a superficial interest that you might find in certain women, but we're not really talking about that. We're talking about real interest, real attraction that has very little to do with your bank balance, a lot to do with who you are. Your bank balance sometimes leads you to actually become more of who you are. Yeah. Right. So know that the money is just a path to something. Yeah. It's not something. That's Something is already you. That's right. Beautiful. Thank you. Ajit, we're going to knock out the five key takeaways finale. And the point of this, to end it this way, is because I want men to have something. I mean, look, we've just had a really rich, beautiful discussion, man. A lot of, I mean, if you're a man listening to this again, you'll discover even more layers to what Ajit and I have been exploring here. So much wisdom here. But I want to make sure that when you hit end on this podcast or it stops playing, that you have practical shit you can work with immediately. So these are the five key takeaways. And then Ajit, I'll ask you to tell us, you know, how we can learn more about you, your website, and you've got a bunch of books out, a new one out and all that stuff. So number one, key insight. What is the one key insight that you would offer listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? Take a break and find yourself. Take a real break. Don't take your phone. Don't get on the internet. Don't look at your email. Don't look at your Facebook. Take a real break to ask the hard question of who you really are and answer that question. And don't come back till the time you answer that question. I love it. Don't come back. (laughs) I love that. Thank you. Key mentor. Name another man that you've been inspired by, living or dead, that you would recommend the men listening to learn more about. My father, but you won't be able to learn more about him because he's not really posting anything on social media. He would be definitely somebody who has mentored me all my life. Brian Reeves is a great guy. You Thank you. Totally, totally listen to him. <laughs> Thank you. Vishen Lakhani, my co-founder, is a great yeah. human being. Amazing yeah. soul. Tony Robbins is awesome. There's so many yeah. people. So many. Beautiful. Number three, key resource. Your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year. Ooh, that's a tough one, but I... I think if I had to recommend one book, I would love for people to check out Stealing Fire. I don't think enough people have read that book. That is amazing. And it has a very different perspective of living in flow state. It's by Stephen Kotler, mm. but it's definitely a brilliant book. It's just, it's, it's for performance enhancement. It's not in context of relationships like we're talking about. Okay. It's a great book. Yeah. Stealing Fire. Stealing Fire. And, and I'll put all of this in the show notes. So if you didn't catch that, just go to brianreeves.com. It's brian with a Y, reeves.com slash podcast, and it'll be there under Ajit's interview. Number four, key investment. In the last year, what's the best thing that you spent money on under $10,000? Oh boy. Uh, Mindvalley University. <laughs> I spent under 10000 Or if that also was under 10000 I was like, I was about to say my holidays was the best investment mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. over 10000 so it doesn't qualify. Mm-hmm. AFAST. Go to com. It's an event our company puts up. It's always the best investment I make every year. Awesomeness Fest. Everybody has to pay for it. Awesomeness Fest, yeah. That's where I met Nita, actually, many years ago. It's brought so much richness to my life, the connections and the friendships that I've made through Awesomeness Fest. So yeah, I can vouch for that for sure. And finally, key practice. Mm -hmm. Please offer one practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational, that has served you well and that you challenge the men listening to take on for just the next seven days. So here is something that will be a tough one, but instead of giving you something that will give you performance or will just help you get better in life, I would give you something that I think has profound uh, impact on mine and Nita's relationship because we've been talking about relationship a lot today. Mm -hmm. And that is to have, when you get triggered, don't walk away, lean into that conversation and actually talk it through, right? Not, and by talking it through doesn't mean it's a shouting match. By talking it through means 
let's experience A, what is happening. B, let's explore why what is happening is happening. And thirdly, resolve what is happening. And by resolve, it doesn't mean it needs to find a solution. Resolve means that you have let go emotionally and physically and spiritually, that you're not carrying that weight of that challenge that you're experiencing in that moment. You resolve it means you release or resolve however you want to say it. If you can resolve it because it's a challenge that's resolvable, great, resolve it. But if it doesn't have to be always a resolution, sometimes it's just a release. So that would be my invitation for you for the next seven days. And it can be for any conversation you have, especially with people that you find challenging to talk. Mm, yeah. Go ahead and don't step away from that conversation. Lean into that conversation. Excellent. Thank you. Ajit, so where can the people listening find you, learn more about you, learn about your books that you've got out? So you can learn about the book that just got out because that is the most relevant book for this conversation that, that we're having. It's called Live Big. You can find it at livebigthebook.com, L-I-V-E-B-I-G-T-H-E-B-O, okay, livebigthebook.com. And the book really talks in context of entrepreneurship, but it really is life lessons. So if you are listening to this conversation, you're excited to know more and see how to think about things like these, Live Big will take you on that journey. So that would be a great place to go. Other than that, I'm available on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Most of the time, I personally respond to messages unless it is a request for a podcast or something like that. Then my team does the same, but otherwise, I'm personally there. So go ahead, reach out, follow, comment, talk. I'm happy to discuss with you more ideas. Excellent. Ajit, man, thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you in this conversation, to have this conversation with you. Thank you for your wisdom, for your insight. Is there anything else that I should have asked that I didn't? I think it was a fun conversation, man. And I hope yeah. it served our tribe in a, in a good way. Excellent. Very cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Men This Way. And thank you again to Ajit Nawalka, Find Ajit's new book at livebigthebook.com and find Ajit on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. And remember, any links, resources, books, and Ajit's five key takeaways will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com. That's Brian with a Y, reeves.com forward slash men this way podcast. If you can think of anyone who might be served by what you just heard, please share this episode with them now. And to encourage more men to get the wisdom in these conversations, please right now go to whatever app you're using to hear this podcast and rate this strong with juicy inspired language so that you too can lead more men this way. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. Finally, if you're a man eager ready to dive in and do your inner game work essential for living a masterful life, go to brianreeves.com. Remember, it's Brian with a Y, reeves.com forward slash thriving man to learn more about how I can serve you on your journey. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.